pay the iron price. I have to pay the iron price. I'll never respect you while he lives. Watch it all come around as I lay on the ground. Joffrey, Cersei, ill and pain and hound. They all think I'm lost, but I know where I'm bound. I'm the blood in the north when it all comes down. My word is my bond, and my bond is my word. Valar to Harris, all men must serve. See, as a raven flies, and time slips by. Valar, my rulers, all men must die. Hello and welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast brought to you by Bald Move. We are the officially unofficial podcast for HBO's Game of Thrones television series. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And tonight we're going to be talking about the third episode of season four entitled Breaker of Chains. Jim, what did you think of tonight's episode? I thought tonight's episode was really good. We finally found out who killed Joffrey uh, very quick. They didn't waste a lot of time on that. Uh, kind of drawing that out, so that was cool. Um, we got to see another shot of Joffrey dead, which I was happy about. Who did you think killed Joffrey? Uh, Littlefinger killed Joffrey. All right, right on. Do you think that's the end of it, or there's, or is there is? Do you, do you think that's the end of it? That's uh, case closed. Um, I I don't think so because there's going to be this big investigation. Uh, Tywin certainly wants to find out who did it. I know Cersei does. Uh, I think that's going to be a big portion of this season, I assume. At least maybe the next three episodes or so. Because uh, we've got to get Tyrion right. out of prison. So, I, right. I I don't know. I mean, obviously it wasn't just Littlefinger. He planted the necklace with Sansa through the Fool. Um, somebody took advantage of that necklace and poisoned Joffrey with it. We, I think at this point, based on all the visual evidence we saw, we can assume that that was... Uh, Lady Olena? Yeah, it seems like there was a fair amount of cat's pawing involved, but that Littlefinger did play some sort of instrumental part. Yeah. Uh, you're probably pretty happy with this episode because there's tons of political intrigue, a lot of, <laughs> man, you know, a lot of kind of political House of Cards style maneuvering and jockeying for position. Mm-hmm. I thought this episode was kind of a sobering reminder of who... The show kind of challenging us. Uh, oh, you like Jamie? You've been rooting for Jamie. You think he's a changed man? Well, I'm gonna show. We're gonna show him raping his sister yeah. in front of his son's corpse. Oh, you think the Hound is really cool because he killed all those chickens? Well, now he's going to rob. You know, he's going to violate his own code and rob this poor farmer of his entire <laughs> life savings and leave him high and dry to be, you know, bandit food. Yeah. Uh, you like the men of the Night's Watch? We're gonna remind you how many of them are rapists and criminals. Uh, it, it's, it, I, I, did you get any of that vibe or kind of like a little bucket of cold water on some fanboy enthusiasm for some of our favorite characters here? Yeah, I didn't while I was watching it, but now that you said that, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, why, why did they do that? Is there, I mean, is that just the type of show that we're watching here? Uh, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to speculate. I'll say that, I mean, let's, let's break it down one by one. Did you consider Jamie, what he did there, a rape of his sister? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, Beyond that, say she is a willing participant, it's still kind of socially icky, right? (laughs) Obviously. I mean, they're in the death chamber of Joffrey, and they're getting down right next to their dead son. Even if that were totally consensual, yeah, it's still fucked up. Yeah, I mean, there's multiple layers of fucked up. The fact that they're doing it at the center of the religion... Mm-hmm. Uh, of the you know the center of faith in Westeros, the fact that their brother and sister, the fact that their their cold dead body, their son is laying right there, I I, I do think that. Um, as far as the uh, the hound goes, 
what do you how what do you make of his kind of moral framework and his argument with Arya there? It's like, well, these people are too stupid to live and they're going to be dead anyway, so I might as well profit from their money. I thought that was a little dishonest of him. It seems like he couldn't possibly know that. I mean, yes, the guy might have been weak, but it makes him even weaker stealing his silver and leaving him injured uh, on the side of the barn there. I, I don't buy that. Sorry, Hound. Sorry, you're a bad guy now. Yeah, I mean, that's I, I guess that's the interesting thing is that that's why I said it's a bucket of cold water because it just feels like that they're reestablishing Jamie's bad guy credentials. He's the say, hey, you know, he's changed a lot and he's you know he stood up to Tywin and that's awesome, but he's still the man that chucked a, a kid out the window and the Hound <laughs> is kind of taken a step closer to becoming the guy who. He, you know, he, the Poliver and his crew. I, I interpreted as kind of disgusted the Hound. I, the, I mean, mm-hmm. did you get that as well? Sure. Yeah. That they like their their lack of morality and complete lack of regard for the the you know whatever chivalry or nobility kind of made him sick. Now mm-hmm. I don't know what to think about him. Yeah, it seems like there's some other layer in his code that we have not. Uh, been privy to yet and we're getting kind of a glimpse of it in this episode or do you think this is him overreacting to like someone showing him kindness and the fact that him and Arya are developing this bond that he kind of like just can't handle that sort of intimacy so he's got to be an asshole to you know to, to to reframe a relationship to where he kind of knows where things stand yeah that's not a bad theory I, I just thought it's you know it's interesting that they do these things and kind of throw us as an audience. It's kind of like, it's, it's very hard to know where you stand and, and where you're rooting for him. And even Littlefinger, he saves Sansa, Mm -hmm. but he also kills this poor drunk fool. I mean, how are we supposed to feel about that? Yeah. I honestly think that Littlefinger had a better excuse than the hound did in this episode. Uh, the guy was drunk and the guy was a fool and he knew that sooner or later, those two things are going to get Littlefinger and Sansa caught. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not like the guy yeah. just was too weak to live. <laughs> well, and there's also a little bit of um, what do you call that? Real politic or uh, ruthless pragmatism? The fact that he cannot afford anyone to find out this secret because that mm-hmm. would that would finish him. Littlefinger has no power unto himself at this point. So mm-hmm. if it got out that he was complicit in Joffrey's death, that would be the end of him. Oh yeah. So. You know, if you've got to buy a person's silence forever, you use a crossbow bolt. Sure. Uh, question, where do you think that he's taken Sansa? Um, I want to say back to his island. Doesn't he have an island? Isn't that where he went off to last season? Are you talking about his, uh, are you talking about his uh, homeland? Yeah, if that's where he went they're, off they're, to. They're, I can't remember, honestly. Okay, yeah, his homeland is kind of a series of small peninsulas called the Fingers. Uh, which is how okay. he got his name, the little, the little, the little finger. Yeah. Um, so it's not an island, but you'd be forgiven for thinking of it because it's kind of coastal. Okay. Uh, what do you? How, what did you think of Tywin's uh, speech to Tommen? Oh man, the next okay. in line for the throne. Tywin made this episode for me, honestly. Um, the speech. I mean, he's basically in that scene taking advantage of this kid to appoint himself as kind of a king. Uh, and and basically right. tell him, look, you need to listen to the advisors around you. And oh, I happen to be your most trusted advisor, so listen to me. Uh, I thought that was an excellent right. move. I thought the stuff he did with Oberyn was an excellent move. 
you know, just taking taking potential turmoil and turning it to his favor. He's so good at that. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And you, you mentioned Ober, and I want to stay on Tommen because midway through the scene, you're thinking, okay, well, this is the old man trying to lay down some advice for this mm-hmm. future king, stuff that the Joffrey uh, should have listened to. But then right there in the middle when they get the wisdom, you're like, oh, no, this is just him putting the puppet strings on. Uh-huh. I mean, it, maybe if Tommen's lucky – that he'll get to a place where he can rule on his own when he's 30 or 40. But Tywin's mm-hmm. clearly, what did you, did I, how, what did you think of Cersei's reaction to this as the quote unquote, former queen regent who now <laughs> I guess is the queen regent again? I guess so. Yeah. Cause they never consummated the marriage with Joffrey and Marjorie. Um, I, she's just confused by the whole thing, right? She's like, I can't believe this is happening. I'm having my power usurped by my dad. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what her play is there because it seemed like she was bothered by it, but what was she going to do? Sure, yeah. And then jo- Jamie came in there and completely changed the dynamic of that. Uh, let's talk about Oberyn. Do okay. you think Oberyn buys the fact that Tywin is innocent? The fact that Tywin is innocent? Yeah, I think he does, honestly. Yeah, in- so you don't think he called the code red on uh, uh, his his sister, uh, the Princess Elia? No, it seemed to me like during that scene there was some kind of mutual respect, I guess, for for the honor of these two guys. Um, it's weird though, and I don't I don't know quite how to put my finger on it. But Oberyn told him, "Hey, you know me better than to think that uh, that you could come here and like sway me." And like he basically said the same thing. Tywin basically said the same thing about Oberyn, and they both kind of have a mutual respect. It's it's kind of strange. Yeah, and I guess a position on a small council, something that Dorne hasn't had potentially for a while, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and Tywin's desire to quote-unquote bring them back into the fold, it does seem like a pretty shrewd political move that he oh, basically... Yeah. And, and did you get that he all but offered up the, the mountain on a silver mm-hmm. silver platter to Oberyn at the end there? Yeah, he's stacking the deck in his trial, right? Well, he's basically saying, hey, well, you know, he's not denying the mountain's guilt. And at the end, he says, will I'll I'll give you justice for your sister's murder if you help me get justice for my grandsons. I mean, that's a quid pro quo offer. Do you think Tywin will live up to it? I feel like he will. Yeah. I I don't know that he has any special loyalty to the mountain. Uh, Certainly that we've seen. I mean, Tywin wasn't around when the mountain was in King's Landing. So I don't know. Having not seen their relationship, I want to say yes. Yeah. So another thing they played with, because we've kind of been sympathetic to Egret, which is John's uh, lover beyond mm-hmm. the wall, and Tormund Giantsbane, who's contrasted to the Thin, seems to be a fairly decent wilding. And what did you make of Egret <laughs> opening, murdering this small kid's father, and Tormund's up there? They're, they're basically sacking a defenseless village. It's another thing where it kind of hammers home to the viewer, like, who are you really rooting for here? What do you want to happen? What what did you think of that? You know, I I don't really agree that I thought these people were good people. Uh, I mean, Egret, she had her moments, but she shot Jon Snow in the back and the leg and the side and basically all over with arrows. That doesn't seem like a good thing to do. I mean, she was angry about, you know, what he did to her at the time, but... Still, yeah, I, I overlooked that as kind of woman scorn territory. Okay, that it wasn't just that. Now, yeah, you've revealed yourself as my enemy, 
there was that, but also you betrayed me, and I thought we had something more than this, and sure. I thought you were one of us, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I'm so I guess you're saying that you're not really surprised at the ferocity of the wildlings. Yeah, no, I'm not. Okay, all right. What else do we have to talk about? Let's talk about uh, the revelate the I thought the most interesting political. A dynamic going on here and one that I wasn't sure if you would follow or people at home would follow and that's the story of Davos and Stannis and Shireen and the Iron Bank of Bravos. what uh, let's talk about that scene and what do you think is going down okay that was the one question I had about this episode and I wasn't totally sure about um I don't know why he starts like he has an obvious revelation there when he's talking to uh Stannis daughter and he starts writing this letter to the Iron bank but i don't know why he's writing that okay well <laughs> we so last last episode tywin and olena well olena at least lady olena was worried about the iron bank of bravos and mm-hmm. the crown being in debt to them uh tywin said he wasn't worried what i'm mean, I, I so the question is you know what would davos be doing you know why what would the iron bank's involvement be why would they back why would they back Stannis over the crown? Would they be willing to back both? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I guess talk about where you think, from what you know from just watching the show, where you think that kind of loyalty or lack thereof or, or how that organization is going to play this Okay, this uh, offer. So I don't know much about this organization or like how they're actually intertwined with um, King's Landing and – I do know that King's Landing is obviously indebted to them greatly. They've borrowed a lot of money from them. Um, and I think what uh, Davos is trying to do is to get them to start collecting on those debts uh, and really put the hurt mm-hmm. on Tywin and the new king uh, when mm-hmm. Stannis brings his troops in, and that would make it way, way easier. He could shrink his army. He could make it so he doesn't have supplies to feed and, uh, and arm his army. I think that's kind mm-hmm. of his play, but I'm not I'm not totally sure because I don't know what that relationship is between uh, Tywin and the Iron Bank. Okay. Well, one thing I want to do before Tuesday is I need to go back and actually see because I, you know, I read uh, the last half of Clash of Kings and Feast of Crows and Dance of Dragons before I started the season, and I'm not exactly sure what's been covered in the show. I'm not sure how much they've talked about in the Iron the Iron Bank in season three. So mm-hmm. I kind of want to research that and see exactly how much we're supposed to know just as viewers before we talk more about it. But yeah. that'll be another interesting thing to talk about. I'm trying okay. to think what we're missing here. The other thing I want to talk about uh, with Davos can... um, is where the hell is his reading going? Because they've been making a big deal over the last few episodes about him learning to read. Um, I, I'm, is he going to end up like reading out of the spell book and fighting Melisandre in an epic magic duel. Like what's going on here? I know you can't fill <laughs> no. us in completely, but it's like they're making a big deal, but it's got to go somewhere and it hasn't yet. So I, uh, I mean, unfortunately I'm, I'm, I'm powerless to speculate with you on the, <laughs> the war of magic or where his reading is going. Yeah. Um. So do you, now let me ask you this. Do you think he's going to run this idea by Stannis? Uh, before he executes the oh, uh, no. letter to the Iron Bank, or do you think he's this is going to be something he surprises his king with? Oh, he's going to surprise him with it for sure. I mean, he doesn't have <laughs> uh, Stannis' daughter draft up a letter with his name on it 
uh, unless he's going to send that out himself. Right on. Uh, the one thing I do have that we have not t- touched on that I quite enjoyed was Tyrion in prison. Tyrion uh-huh. into Black Cells or wherever he's being held on. Uh, what did you make? Oh, and then we got to talk about Danny. What did you make of uh, his scenes with Podrick there, uh, his situation, uh-huh. uh, the impending trial? Uh, how do you see the deck being stacked against him, or how do you see how do you see him go? What, where do you see his plot line working out from here? Well, we have talked about how characters have kind of been built up in one fashion and then shown later uh, to kind of not be that over and over again with the Hound um, and and all sorts of people in the series. Tyrion seems to be the one character who is genuinely concerned about his people. Uh, is concerned about the entire kingdom, in my opinion. And they kind of keep hitting that over and over and over again. And this is just another example of it with Podrick where instead of having Podrick testify against him, uh, or rather refuse to testify against him, uh, he tells him, leave the city, because you need to get out of here. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't stare at your head on a pike when I'm going to my death. Right. So I, I really, really enjoyed that scene. It seems very true to what his character has been built up as throughout the series. Um, as far as, I, I don't know, his, his kind of like plans with Jamie, I think think mm-hmm. it, like you said jamie is kind of up in the air at this point is he a good guy is he a bad guy where are his loyalties i don't know what's going to happen with that that seems dangerous calling on jamie as your only witness do you think that will be his only witness i mean he wanted to call sansa obviously she's not there <laughs> yeah she's uh, not he doesn't back. want he doesn't want he doesn't want to endanger pod uh varus were you surprised that varus declared for the crown I was, yeah, I was very surprised. Um, although, you know, after the conversation they had in the garden where he basically told him, hey, look, they know about um, Shay and you need to do something about it, but I'm not going to get involved. It, that kind of feels right, I guess. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's true to his character. I mean, mm-hmm. it you know, just like in Ed, Ned Stark when he was in this position, he tried to help as much as he could but he wasn't going to quite go over that, that side of the fence to really, you know, help him because he just isn't comfortable sticking his neck that far out. He doesn't have any real power. Yeah. Uh, so he's got to stay plugged into the Royal machine and stay in that good graces. If that, even if that means betraying someone that he admires, absolutely like Ned or Tyrion. Yeah. And also when Tyrion said that he's basically sure that Cersei had nothing to do with the murder of Joffrey, that was also very true to her character. She does care a lot about that kid, regardless of what a shit he was. Right. Well, and I, I liked how they brought that back, that uh, he, there's, some, there's some really good lines in this. Uh, Tyrion saying that, uh, you know, the only thing he's sure about is that, you know, Cersei loves her children, which is something that he said that's one of her few, you know, her, she has got good cheekbones and she loves her children. That's basically her two... <laughs> Her two uh, redeeming qualities. Yep. And he said that's why he's absolutely sure that she has nothing to do with it, which makes this a most unique King's Landing murder, which I <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yep. Um, how many episodes can you stomach Tyrion being stuck in a cell? Oh, not there's very some resolution many. Here? I like to see him in okay. action, and it doesn't seem like he's going to be able to get much action from a cell unless he gets some visits from Varys like uh, Ned Stark did. Maybe maybe he can yeah, be I mean, a little that, more persuasive. Right on. Um, 
I can't remember how long Ned stuck in a cell, but it was when I was rewatching the series, I remember thinking it was a surprisingly long time. Like it was like four three, episodes. at least three episodes, maybe four. Mm-hmm. Uh, last, last thing we haven't talked about and stop me if you want to talk about something else, but I want to talk about Danny at the gates of Marine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Danny was very dynamic, exciting, and her speech was awesome. I, how much of the uh, footman versus horseback rider action redeemed uh, Dario Nyquilis in your eyes? Uh, a little bit. I, I would say less the horseback versus foot soldier aspect and more just the wink that he gave back to uh, yeah. <laughs> Danny before he did the whole thing. That was pretty sweet. I yeah. like that. Um, and yeah, I, that, this... that was a... That's a little bit of the insolence that I'm looking for. That character, he's yeah. still, again, I'm still, and 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 I don't know him pissing. That that was pretty cool, but I I, I still feel like that he quite hasn't filled the shoes of the old Dario, which I can't believe I'm saying. <laughs> sure, no, I'm with you. Uh, I really like this scene all around, though. I mean, the only the only thing I was worried about is they were just going to drag out like a giant horn and just totally shut this plan down. Like she starts up her speech, mm. they start up a horn and what can she do? <laughs> <laughs> right. They just start blowing a horn and yelling and it's like, what? I yeah. can't hear you. What? what? Cause she said, but on much. the other She's hand, like, I need this guy to be quiet before I can execute my plan. So I also like the fact that I think her next message, you didn't have to be quiet for to receive. Yes. Uh, sending the barrels full of broken slave change was a really brilliant tactic and at first when it's happening i was like shit she's gonna she just told these people she wants to bring them life and freedom and now she's shelling the shit out of them (laughs) and i wasn't but then i saw that they're kind of bursting open i'm like what Mm -hmm. the hell is this full of like shit what's going on and then seeing the slaves pick up their those broken chains i thought was really epic really epic yeah absolutely and these are the chains from the 163 slaves that were tacked up to those signs, those mile markers, right? Um, I would, I would be very surprised if they weren't among them. I think that they're probably, you know, she freed two giant cities worth of slaves. So, uh, she's, you know, she's got, she's, she's easily got thousands of chains to select, to choose from. I don't know that 163 would be enough, but I would be very surprised if they weren't among them just for her own, her own sake. I was, I was kind of surprised they didn't return to mention that, the 163 thing. They were so specific about it before. Hmm. But uh, I liked her speech. Um, Where do you – so let's talk about her three advisors just real briefly. Yeah. Uh, You know what? Actually, I I just want to raise the topic discussion. It's something I want to uh, poll you about on Tuesday. I kind of want to know where you think – everyone stands she's got like basically four main advisors at this point gray worm barristan selmy uh jorah mormont and dario nyquilis mm-hmm. i kind of want to <laughs> as a topic to think about like where do you think they all stand and and what they bring to the table and and how she you individually values their input okay sure i can do that all right uh anything else to talk about no i think we covered it pretty well I thought, you know, this was kind of a chess piece moving episode. Uh, mm-hmm. Not a lot of big things happens, mostly kind of addressing big things that happened in the previous week and setting up big things to happen next week as far as Marine goes. Mm-hmm. And 
and those tend to be kind of not the best episodes, but honestly, I thought this was a really quality piece, a really compelling uh, episode. I was surprised at how compelling it was. Yeah, like I said, Tyr- uh, not Tyrion, Tywin really made this episode for me. Uh, between Tywin and Danny, it was just really good. And shit, you're caring about uh, Davos and Stannis, so like <laughs> things firing on all cylinders at this no point. No kidding. No kidding. They they just need to keep burying the lead on the Melisandre, and you'll be a happy camper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nowhere to be seen. I was happy about that. Uh, we did not talk about Sam and Gilly, but I'm fine with leaving that to the main cast. Um, mm-hmm. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us uh, your take on the episode, do so at Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Of course, you can find us on facebook.com slash baldmove. Jim on Twitter, at baldmove. Um, we will see you for our full cast with lots of feedback, a scene-by-scene breakdown, and our custom patented, patented spoiler section, as well as our complete coverage of Mad Men early Tuesday evening. Uh, that's all I got, Jim. Uh, unless you got something else, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And I'll see you in a couple days. Watch it all come around as I lay 